So since it's Mother's Day, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about that feeling where you're trying to get someone's attention, which moms know. Moms know that feeling of your pant leg is being tugged on, and it's like, mom, 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 and you're like, I know my name, stop. You know, like that feeling, like someone getting your attention, or imagine you're trying to get someone's attention that's famous. Let's say they're a famous actor or actress. Let's say they're a famous sports ball player, whatever sports ball they play, you know, like one of those people. If there's no one around, you know what you would do. If there's no one around, you'd just go up to them, wouldn't you? And you'd be like, hey, can I, get a, can I get like a selfie with you, you know? Or maybe if you're like, I want something that like, I want an autograph, you know, can I get like an autograph where you sign whatever it is that you got, sign my baseball, you know, whatever. And, and like, that's what you would do. But what if you're in a restaurant and the restaurant's crowded, it's packed, it's like this, right? There's just people everywhere. And, and they're on the other side of the restaurant. What would you do? How would you get their attention? See, some of you, you would get with a buddy and you would do the jumping jack thing, right? Like, hey, over here, you, I see you, you know? And I would not encourage that because if you do that, your name's gonna be put on a list and you won't be allowed within 500 feet of them because you're a stalker. Like, don't do that. People don't like that at all. And so that's not what you would do, but you would have to do something to get their attention. So my question is, what, what would you do? How would you get their attention? I'm going to come back to that. That's actually a very important question for today. I'm going to come back to that. But since it's Mother's Day, I think we would all agree that it is so impressive how mothers will care for and love and provide for their children. In fact, the early church was so impressed by moms. There was a symbol that the early church used, and it looked like this. That's a, it's a pelican. So the early church said, a pelican, I can't think of any better way to honor moms than to show a mom pelican. So if you go in thousand-year-old churches, you'll see this in the stained glass. Like, this was a thousand-year-old church. There's the pelican in the stained glass. You'll see it in mosaics on the floors. You'll see it in the tapestry on the wall. And here's, here's the story. Pelicans, a lot of times, will have a red tip on their beak. And so in the ancient world, what they said is that pelicans would... When their, uh, when their babies were hungry and there was like this, this no food to be found, they would peck themselves right in the chest until they would bleed. And then they would lean over and they would feed their blood to their babies so their babies wouldn't starve to death. Yeah, isn't that disgusting and repulsive <laughs> and really cool all at the same time? Like, isn't it? But here, you're going like this. In um, early Christian art forms, the pelican was used because... The early church said that's such a beautiful picture of Jesus, such a beautiful picture of the one who gave his blood for us so that we could be called sons and daughters of the Most High and we could live. Isn't that incredible? So let's open up our Bibles this morning, Matthew and Gross, all at the same time. Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to be. Matthew 15 verses 21 through 28 is our text today. We're going to be looking at this incredible story of a mother who was just desperate, She's in need of relief. She's anxious. She's super confused. And she's at this place that she's saying, I need help. And the only place that I'm going to be able to get help is Jesus. That's my only hope. My only hope is going to be Jesus. Now, some of the moms in here, you're at that place of saying, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be worn out. I know what it feels like to be anxious. I know what it feels like to need relief. In fact, there's people who are not moms in this room 
who are saying, no, I identify with this. I've got some stuff. I've got this decision I have to make. I have this relational thing, this health thing, this financial thing, and I need some help. I need some help to where I need Jesus to step in. So I guess my question is, if you were trying to get the attention of Jesus because you needed his help, how would you go about getting the attention of Jesus? You know, would you do the jumping jack thing? You know, what would you do? How would you get the attention of Jesus? That's the question we're wrestling with as we look at the text today. And we're just going to see two quick responses. The first scripture is going to show us that we shouldn't bank on ourselves for relief. Don't bank on yourself for relief. Let's look at the Bible, Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Matthew writes this. He says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the narrative here tells us that Jesus is leaving Galilee. And the fact that he's leaving Galilee should put a picture in your minds. I've told you this before. Just picture, in fact, we're going to show you a map. Look at the map. This is a map of Israel. Anytime you see a map of Israel and you hear Jesus is in this area, just think to yourself, go see Jesus. There you go. Go see Jesus. The go is Galilee, Samaria, Judea. Go see Jesus. Galilee, Samaria, Judea. And now, no matter where Jesus is in Scripture, you'll know where he's at. So he's in Galilee, which is in the northern part of the country. And you'll see that he's going over to Tyre and to Sidon, which is actually north and to the west. He's going to the coastal area. This is, this is super important because this region was not part of the territory of Palestine. This was a Gentile region. It's what we would call, uh, today we would call this Lebanon, right? We call this Lebanon. And so there was mounting opposition to the ministry of Jesus. There was mounting opposition to Jesus himself. And what do you do when you experience a lot of opposition? What do you do when you experience a lot of trial? Well, if you're wanting to stay healthy, you have to periodically step back, don't you? You have to withdraw. You have to get alone. So Jesus, you'll see throughout Scripture, there's times where he will get alone and it's just him and the Father, right? He'll get along with just him and the Father. He will leave. The, he loves people. He loves the crowds, but he will leave the crowds. He'll leave the people to get along with the Father. Or he'll leave the crowds to get along with the 12. And there'll be some intense discipleship just between him and the 12. We do that at Woodside, don't we? We have this area called the Lodge that's north of here. It's, what, hour, hour and a half, something like that from here. How far is it? Oh, no, it's a lot further from my house, but it's not very far from here. It's like an hour to an hour and a half from here. But the lodge is a fantastic location. It's a place where leaders can go and retreat and refresh and recharge. It's where uh, marriages, where you can go and refresh and recharge is this beautiful place. Well, that's what Jesus is doing in Tyre and Sidon. He goes to this location knowing it's not a Jewish area. So he's going knowing I can get away from everybody else and I can just kind of go and retreat for a little bit. And that's where scripture says that this hysterical mother and I say hysterical for a reason, because it says she's crying. The word that's used by Matthew is the word kradzo. Kradzo. It means 
Gradso means to cry. It means to yell. It means to moan. You know what a raven is, right? Like not like a not like a little chirpy bird, not like a blackbird, but a full-on raven. Like full-on raven is a humongous-looking blackbird, and they have this cry that is just piercing. They just keep. That's a kradzo. That's the description that in. Greek would be used for the cry of a raven. It would be kradzo. Are you saying this? is this obnoxious noise. But that's not the most intriguing thing to this. Notice that Matthew describes the woman as a Canaanite woman. Do you see that? That's not a description that would have been used a lot in the first century. A Canaanite woman. It wasn't used very often at all. And the fact that it's used is so strong and so harsh and really shows the tension that there would be between the disciples and this woman because Canaanites were the original inhabitants of Palestine, which means that the Jews had to come and fight the Canaanites to take this land. And so when they see this Canaanite woman, they're like, well, that woman there, she's, she's an enemy of the Jews. That woman right there, she's wailing and making this, this obnoxious noise. She's making all, are you starting to see the scene now? That's the woman that comes up to talk to Jesus. And in verse 22, she cries out for mercy, and she calls Jesus, look what she says. She says, you're Lord. Do you see that? She calls him Lord and calls him son of David, which is powerful. Because what she's saying is, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the rescuer. You're the Savior. You're the one that the Jews have been waiting on. You see, no other people group on the planet was waiting for a rescuer. No other group was waiting for a Messiah. Just, just the Jews. They were the ones waiting for the Messiah. And she's like, you're the one they've been waiting on. Do you know how big that is? This is chapter 15. In chapter 14, it was the first time that the disciples recognized Jesus as Son of God. And here we are in chapter 15, and this woman, who is a Canaanite woman, she recognizes Jesus as what? As Lord, as a son of David. So the problem this woman faces is the heartache of a mom seeing her child hurt. And here's what she says. She says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, which is probably not the same struggle that you and I face with our kids, but I think that every parent, every parent knows the pain of seeing your kid hurt, of seeing your kid sick. And isn't it true as parents, like, that's the worst? Because you look down at them when they're sick, and you're just thinking to yourself, I would do anything. I would take on all of that pain if I could just make it stop, Right? Every parent, when you see your kid hurt, that is the worst. And she has seen her daughter hurt and suffer in a way that she's saying, Jesus is the only one who can fix this. There is no hope other than Jesus. Jesus is the one who can do something about this. And then his response seems so out of character. Look at verse 23. It says, he didn't answer her a word. Church, he went full on Spock on her. Like he just stood there, no emotion, locked it down like he's just standing there. And she's waiting for some type of response from Jesus, but he's not giving her one. He just looks at her, like not yes, not no, not maybe. He's just looking at her. Meanwhile, the disciples, look what they, look what they did. They were begging Jesus, Jesus, come on. Just, this woman, she's out of control. Like she's making all this. 
and making all this noise. Come on, just you got to tell her the answers. No, we got to move down the road. We're going on a retreat. We got a coastal city. There's going to be a beach. It's going to be beautiful. Get rid of her. You know, they're trying to get rid of her. And then <laughs> we see this whole encounter, and Jesus then responds, not how we would expect. I would expect, and probably you would expect, compassion. It's Jesus, right? I mean, we're talking about Jesus. We would expect Jesus to come out just oozing with compassion. But look at verse 24. Look what he says. Verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he's talking to the disciples. He's like, guys, I came with a very narrow mission and a very narrow focus, and I can't get distracted. My mission is to the Jews. That's where my mission is. I've got to stay focused on what I'm supposed to stay focused to. And yet we know that salvation is free to all, the Jew and the Gentile. We know that Philip comes along. We know that Paul comes along. They're specifically commissioned to go and reach the Gentiles, those who are not the Jews. This whole encounter really reminds me of the Roman centurion. Do you remember the Roman centurion? Like he wasn't, he wasn't the patient, just like this mom is not the patient. Right, the patient, like sometimes people come to Jesus and they'd be like, Jesus, I'm blind, I can't see. And he'd spit on their eyes, which is weird, but he would spit on their eyes and, um, and, and make it to where they can see, right? But they would come as the patient. But the Roman centurion was not the patient. He was not the patient. This mom is not the patient. They were not Jews, either one of them. They were not Jews, and yet it stopped Jesus in his tracks. He stopped in his tracks and did something about it in a way that only he could because of what? Because the faith of that commanding officer, because the faith of this mom. Where's, where's the power of your faith? Where do you power your faith from? How do you get Jesus' attention? You know what I think? I think sometimes... I think sometimes what we do is we say my faith is powered by the name on the sign out front because I go to Woodside Bible Church. That's where my faith is. My faith is in the name on the door. I think sometimes we say our faith is, is on what we know. I'm pretty smart. I went to school. I got a degree. You know, so that's where my faith is. You know, or how many Bible studies we've done. I read the Bible through the whole thing last year. You know, so that, that's where my faith is. I, th I think we... I think we put our faith in all kinds of places. Unfortunately, I think oftentimes where we place our faith is no different than the world. The world today, more than any other time, is at a place where it would say the helping hand you're looking for is at the end of your arm. Isn't it? More than ever, more than ever, our, not just our world, our nation is at a place where it's not clinging to the Lord for guidance and protection is clinging to self. So if you're sick, you better go as fast as you can to the doctor, and that's on you, and then the doctor's going to give you some medicines, and you're going to take it, but it's on you to get better. It's on your intelligence. It's on your perseverance. It's on you doing what it takes to go get the help that you need to get. Oh, you need to eat because you're getting hungry? No problem. You need to go get some more education. And if you don't do well with education, then you're a failure because you had a poor work ethic. And then if you're struggling, it's going to be because you didn't work hard enough at your job. And do you see how this pops up all of a sudden? Because all of a sudden you get here and you look around everyone else and you're like, well, you're not working as hard as you should. You don't have the right work ethic. And I just want to tell you, I love a good work ethic. Like, I really do. I think we would all agree on that. We all love a good work ethic. But... Church, you need Jesus. 
you need Jesus. Some of you know that because you're in a pretty broken place right now, and you know you need Jesus. Sometimes, though, things are going well, and finances are fine, and job's fine, and family's fine, and we almost act like I did it. It's all on me. I'm so good. Look at, look at me. And so that's your version of waving your arms to the Lord is, look how good I've done because I'm yelling louder than everyone, and I built a bigger portfolio than everyone. Can I just tell you, he's not impressed with any of that? It's your faith. That's what the Lord's after. The Lord is after your faith. And so if you do find yourself today where you're going, I'm a little bit frazzled, I'm a little bit exhausted, I'm kind of like that mom, I need the Lord to show up in this area, or I don't know what's going to happen, but I need the Lord, I recognize that I need the Lord, let me tell you, that's a good starting place, because then it lets you go to the second point, which is you need to bring Jesus what he really desires. Bring Jesus what he really desires. Let's go back to the word, verse 25. Matthew writes, but she came and she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So this woman shows us that there's something you can bring to the table regardless of who you are, how tired you are, how dark life may be. This woman comes, and the Bible says in verse 25 that she knelt before Jesus. This is probably my favorite part of the whole passage right here. She knelt, because I think in our head, we picture one thing, but when you look at the actual word, it tells us something different. The word knelt in the Greek, it means to express gratitude. It's an attitude or gesture of one's complete dependence on or submission to a higher authority figure. It means to, to fall down and to worship. Does that give you some perspective on the scene now? She falls down in front of Jesus, not in this way of begging. She falls down in front of Jesus out of a place of worship, and she just simply says as clear as she can, Lord, help me. You're the only one who can. Lord, help me. I've been seeking you out. I've been working to find you. Lord, help me. In verse 26, Jesus' response seems at first stunning, doesn't it? Look what it says. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. All right, moms, you go to the doctor, and the doctor looks at you with you and your child and says, it's not right to give medicine that we could use for kids to the dogs. She talking about your child or you, and does it really matter, right? At that point, the illustration's starting to break down in your head, isn't it? You're thinking, we've got some problems, right? And we look at this, and we're like, Jesus, really? Because you're almost starting to sound, this can't be right, because you're starting to sound like the prejudiced nature of the, the rest of the Jews right now. Like this prejudiced nature against the Canaanites or against women. Like, what's going on? And my encouragement is to slow down and to pay attention to what Jesus already knows. Here's what he already knows. He knows that this woman has identified him as the Messiah. He knows that. He knows that this woman relentlessly pursued him 
as the one, the only one who could truly meet her needs. He knows that this woman has fallen down right in front of him and worshiped him. That's what he knows. He, he knows the heart. Essentially what this woman does is she responds with faith. If this isn't faith, I don't know what is, right? She's done everything, but sometimes our actions and reality, they don't line up, do they? Moms, have you ever looked at your child and have you ever said something like, I don't know, are you sleepy? Do you need a nap? And your child looks at you and tears are coming down. No, I'm not sleepy. I don't need a nap. I'm not tired. And you're like, mm, no, you're not even a little bit tired. Nope. Right? You know the feeling, right? So sometimes we do the same thing with the Lord. No, Lord, I forgive them. With your face looking like that, you do not. But what we'll do is we'll say, no, I do. I do, Lord. I do forgive them. I'm not holding a grudge. And we'll, we'll, we'll do this, you know. And so sometimes our actions, what we're actually doing, and sometimes what we say, it doesn't really line up with where our heart is. The Lord knows our heart, and he's looking at this woman, and he sees this woman of faith. He sees this woman of faith that he needs to use to encourage the disciples for them to have faith. Again, they've been walking with him for years. They just now said, oh, you're the son of God. One chapter before. Here we are in chapter 15, and this woman encounters him and recognizes the power and authority that he has. And so he's going to draw out that faith a little bit more. So he uses the word dog. Some theologians have pointed out that the actual word isn't like how you or I would think it. Like if I said, man, that guy's, that guy's a dog. I don't even know the context. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good, does it? Like it sounds like he's a scoundrel. He's a bad guy. He's got bad intentions. But what if I said the word dog was cunarian? Cunarian is the Greek word that literally means like little puppy. Oh, well, that kind of changes it, doesn't it? Let me read this again with that context. The word cunarian, which is the word that's used, says this. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it down to the little happy yapping puppy underneath this with its tail wagging. Well, that's starting to change the context a bit, isn't it? And this is where, church, I wish the Bible was bigger. I truly do, because there's so much that we don't get in these types of interactions. We can't, we can't hear the inflection in Jesus' voice. We can't see when he said this, did he wink at her? Like, we, we just don't know. Like, some of those context clues, we just don't have. All we have is we have the words. And so if you've ever wondered, why do people like me say, here's what the Greek says, here's what the Hebrew says, the reason is, is because that was the robot, by the way. That was the best robot I had. The reason that we do that is because that's all we have. We have these words, and these words have power, and these words have meaning. And sometimes when we read the Word of God, we take it from our 2019 perspective that we have and we just read the word dog and keep rolling. But when we slow down and do a word study, what we see is that we see this word cunarian, and it changes everything. He's saying, I see this woman of great faith, and she's like this little puppy that, yeah, it's yapping, but she's right underneath us the whole time. And she clearly understands what's going on because she verbally jousts back a little bit. And she, in verse 27, says this. She says, yes, Lord. Yeah, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, even the cunarian, even the little yappy dog 
is going to be blessed because, Jesus, as you come in, the crumbs off your table is just going to rain down grace on every single one of us. And I want to be part of that grace. Do you see that now? And here's what happens. Jesus sees her faith and responds to it in verse 28. He recognizes her great faith. He affirms it and immediately, right then and there, heals her daughter. Isn't that powerful? Have you ever, have you ever got somebody at this Mother's Day? So have you ever got someone a gift and, like, it wasn't a very good gift? Like, it was a swing and a miss? I got them the gift, and I thought, they're going to love this. They're going to love it. And it's like the avocado kid. You know the avocado? Like, the avocado. Thanks. <laughs> it never gets old, ever. I can watch it a hundred million times. Never gets old. In fact, half the hits on the on the UTS from me. And so, like, if I looked at Amy and I gave her a vacuum cleaner for Mother's Day, she'd be like, "Oh, a household cleaning appliance for Mother's Day. Thanks." Like, she would do this one more time. The avocado! Thanks! <laughs> it's the best. Can I, can I just say, I think that, um, I think sometimes we get our lives, and we go to the Lord, and we think, man, I'm really going to impress the Lord now. I, I am something. I've, I've succeeded. I've got the right education. I've been working. I've, I've invested. I dedicated my child. I've been baptized. I've led Bible studies. I've led groups. Man, the Lord is going to be so blown away with me. Moms, you've washed your face. You approach the world like you're bulletproof. You run in with your teeth gritted saying, I can do this. And the whole time we forget that we all need Jesus. And we end up inside in this place where it's kind of messy. And the anxiety is there and the worry is there and the stress is there. This place of saying, I need Jesus because I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this on my own. Let me tell you, that's the place he wants. He wants that place of faith from us. As sons and daughters of the Most High God, that's what he wants. All that other stuff, that's not, that's not what he's after. He's after our faith. In days like today, it reminds me of when my boys were little. They're not so little anymore. One's 16, one's 20. And um, they're not so little. But I remember, I remember I put them on the chair, you know, the kitchen chair, and make them stand up. And I'd clap my hands. You've heard the story. Clap my hands. And I'd say, come on, buddy, jump. And um, inevitably, both of them would do the same thing. They would, they would jump, they would like launch themselves at me with everything they had. So it wasn't like a, I'm going to hop and I'm going to hope. Nope, it's I'm launching myself at you. I'm taking you out if you don't catch me, so catch me. And um, then they would belly laugh. You know belly laugh, right? Like when they laugh so hard, like their body starts to shake and they go, <laughs> you know that one? Uh, they, they would just laugh so hard. And then they would say, again, dada, again. So I do it again. You know, I put them back on the chair, and I just, man, never got old. I would do it until my arms felt kind of like butter. You know, I'd just keep going again, dada, again. That's what our Heavenly Father wants from us. Church, that's it. Just as his kids to look and to say, I've got some stuff pressing down on me. 
I've got some relational stuff that's heavy. I've got some financial stuff that I really don't know what I'm going to do. I've got some health stuff that there are no answers and the doctors aren't coming up with answers. I've got this stuff, Lord. And I need you. It's this beautiful spot of him clapping his hands saying, I've got you. So I want to leave you with this. The same Jesus that was there when that woman shouted out, you're the Lord. That same Jesus that was standing there when she shouted out, you're the son of David. That same Jesus that was standing there when she fell down right in front of Jesus to worship is the same Jesus that is alive today. My friends, he's still alive. There's no body in the tomb. That stone has been rolled away and Jesus has risen. That's the power that's there for us today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this place where we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you that we're kind of like canarian to you. We're little puppies who just don't always get it. Lord, I know I've got some um, brothers and sisters in Christ in this room who they're having a hard time. They're having a hard time and they're anxious and they're afraid. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what's going to happen with the, the job stuff. They don't know what's happening with relationship stuff. Lord, it's just pressing down and it's heavy. And so I pray for the man or the woman in this room who's exhausted. I pray that you get perseverance today. For the person who doesn't know what to do with the decision in front of them, I pray that you give wisdom and discernment to them today. To the person with relational conflict, Lord, I pray that you bring peace today. Because you're a good, good father. Lord, for the person where things are just going great, everything is so good, I pray that they're just able to have so much freedom and joy in that spot. Not afraid of what tomorrow holds, because there will be troubles tomorrow. But Lord, that you let them just to have freedom in the moment today and true joy in you. Lord, more than anything, we pray that when we pray, and the answer is yes, or the answer is no, or we don't hear anything from you because it seems Spock-like, that we just have faith and we trust you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to invite you to stand as we close our morning in worship.